Welcome to the Spin Tune Sports Show. I'm your host, Al Bielsi. This week, my co-host, Shafe, is still off. I'm here to shoot the shit and talk some sports. Normally, this is where I'd tell you a joke about some fictional or bad sponsor. Didn't feel right, as I'm starting this recording at halftime of the NBA Finals, and the idea of Kevin Durant going down was a little rough. A lot of people listening here are either Knicks or Nets fans, and weirdly, probably some Laker fans, because that's a thing. Um, and all of us are hoping that Durant's Achilles isn't fucked by the time you guys are hearing this. We'll probably know. Anyway, um, we'll have another week without uh, a co-host. Hopefully we'll have either Shafe or someone else to join me for next week. Um, sorry about missing last week, guys, but uh, life happens. So anyway, we had a lot to discuss with a couple of our teams this week. Um, we're going to do some Jets talk. We're going to do some Subway Series talk. Uh, and that's really going to be the uh, majority of the episode here. Uh, anyway, starting off with Subway Series. So the Yankees had a rough week. Um, they lost series to Toronto. They lost a series to Cleveland. And that's not really ideal. I don't view those teams as being particularly strong, either of them. Um, but what are you going to do? They had some rough bullpen, they had some rough offense, they had some rough starting pitching. It's going to happen. But they got Didi back, which is great. He looks good so far. And, uh, well, Herman went on the DL, so that's not great. Or IL, I guess, now. Uh, Tanaka missed a start, but he should be back. Um, unfortunately, we had the first game of that series ringed out, so we'll have a little uh, funky doubleheader action this week, which is kind of cool, before they go back to play in City Field at the start of July, I believe. Uh, the Mets, though, got fat on uh, some weak teams this week. Although, I guess Colorado technically has a winning record, but that, I don't view them as particularly special either. Um, and they're quite a few games back of the Dodgers. I don't believe they'll really be a threat for the playoffs. San Francisco, obviously, is not good. Um, so good for the Mets. They've been, a couple of weeks ago, they were a huge winning streak. Uh, I remember recording the episode and mentioning that. And then they had promptly lost... Five out of six or something like that. Um, and then they're back up this past week. So um, if you can figure out the Mets, let me know because I sure shit can't. Um, the Yankees, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on right now. Um, but anyway, uh, we have a couple of interesting matchups. We have Tanaka, who is a new father. I can't remember if this is his first or second kid, but he had a kid yesterday or the day before. Um, so congrats to him. And he'll be facing Vargas, whom... I have made fun of a lot on this show, and just in my life. Uh, Shafe is a little bit more lenient with him. Um, and of course, with all the Vargas slander that's gone on here, uh, he's been incredible of late. Um, 1.58, sorry, 1.85 ERA, last seven starts. Um, so I guess we'll see if he can keep that up for this week's matchup. But against that he has a 6.84 career ERA against the Yankees. It's funny because I remember he had a run similar to what he's having now to start off a season with the Royals. It was several years ago. He had like the first half of the season out of nowhere. Never been good, really. And then he's was pitching to like a one ERA. Everyone's like, oh, he's going to win the Cy Young. And I know there's a big debate between more traditionalist, more analytically driven people. I'm an analytics guy in so far as I like having more information. Um, I don't believe, as you we mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, I think the last episode of Shave was here, 
that I don't I don't understand why some of these teams are slaves to every single bit of data, but there's a lot of good information that you can be using with that. Um, and the Yankees are, if you look at the best teams in the league, they're the ones who have the best analytics department. Dodgers, Yankees, Red Sox, Astros, Twins. These teams are very analytically driven, and it works. It works. Um, and you can quibble over how much and which particular stats and how much of a slave to it that you are, but the fact is it works. And anyway, getting back to the Vargas thing, I remember seeing people who were analytically driven banging the drum, no, no, Vargas is going gonna, is gonna to regress. Vargas is going to regress. And he regressed big time. I think that was the last good year the Royals had in that three-year run, four-year run, whatever it was, where they went to the back-to-back World Series. Uh, they had lost to the Giants. They beat the Mets. Um, and I, uh, I don't remember if it was one of those years or if it was the year after. He started, he started off a great in the first half of that year and then imploded. And I remember that they were competing well. The Yankees, oh, it's a tough series. The Yankees going to face the Royals. And they shelled him a couple of times, I think. And that's where, that was the beginning of the end for that story. Um, so, yeah, I don't expect Vargas to continue this run because he never has sustained it because anyone can get hot. There's an argument even amongst the analytics guys whether hot is a thing or not. It's obviously a thing for hitters or pitchers. It's just a question of can you predict it? How long can you expect it to run? Whatever. Um, But relying on it is a fool's errand. And relying on Vargas long-term is a fool's errand in my mind. Uh, So we'll see if he comes falling back to earth in this matchup. A lot of righty bats in the Yankees lineup, so it's going to be a tough one for him, I think. Um, And then the second game... Since I think they're playing a split doubleheader tomorrow, or maybe today. Hopefully, we'll have this out on Tuesday. Uh, it should be uh, James Paxton versus Zach Wheeler. Um, Paxton is building back up after having come off the, the IL. He had a really strong start his first game back. Uh, although they cut him off, they kept him to like 75 pitch or something like that. He only threw four innings, but he had like seven strikeouts. He only gave up like a couple of hits, no walks. Um, and the Yanks were up like five or six nothing at the time, so I think they just decided. Let's get him in now while he's healthy. He's having that issue with the knee. Hopefully the longer they they just keep rehabbing it, rehabbing it, eventually it'll just kind of fade away. As someone who's dealt with chronic nagging knee pain that's not an actual full-on injury, um, that sort of rest and relaxation and just that TLC that you can give it is usually a good thing. Um, so he's building back up. His second start back wasn't tremendous, but um, his... His numbers at home, I think, this year, I was looking at them earlier, in like 26 innings or something like that, which admittedly is a pretty small sample size because um, he missed a couple of weeks with that injury. But um, his numbers at home, he had like a sub-1 ERA or something like that in 26 innings. It's, I don't know if that was four or five starts. Um, so hopefully he'll uh, get right and he'll get a full game out here. Um, the Mets will be going with Wheeler. I was looking at his numbers. Uh, he's doing the Wheeler thing, <laughs> where he's inconsistent. Um, although, actually, I guess his last four or five starts, he was pretty consistently going seven innings and giving up three runs every time. So, I guess not inconsistent, just consistently not that great. Um, although, I think he was striking out a lot of guys and not walking a lot of guys, and that's been a thing for him. I, I believe he's had a lot of issues with walks, driving his pitch count up. when In games where otherwise he's not giving up runs, striking out a ton of guys, then walking three or four guys. That was maybe pre-injury, but still. Um, so, yeah, a couple interesting matchups. We'll see. Hopefully Tanaka's head in, head's in the game. Hopefully he's able to sleep all right with the, the new kid, although 
probably still been at the hospital. So, um, anyway, uh, Subway Series is always fun. It's that time of year. It's the summer. Um, we'll see with the fucking rain. Um, hopefully the weather warms up a little bit because it's always good for a few home runs getting hit. Uh, especially if you want to enjoy that in Yankee Stadium because um, that probably would be less hit in uh, City Field. But um, anyway, yeah, I thought that was uh, interesting. I thought that uh, the other stuff going around the, the, the Yankees and the Mets, you got the Mets doing a classic job of bungling an injury situation with Robbie Cano, um, although who even knows with him anymore. Um, but, yeah, I, I was a little surprised that they brought him back when they did. They, I was a little surprised they brought him back without going through a rehab process. Um and immediately gets hurt, and then they do this whole chicanery where, oh, no, no, he's he's fine, he's just a little strained, no, 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 we'll give him a couple of days off, and then it's just a few days of radio silence, and he's back on the injured list, because that's what the Mets do, and doesn't seem to matter, I mean, even, I was just reading something today about Van Wagen and having brought in a bunch of guys um, for the health and wellness coaches and stuff like that, and it doesn't ever seem to matter, Um because they just they just need to be more decisive with these things. He's hurt, out. He's not hurt. Good. So this whole mm, yeah, he's gonna be fine and this and no no. He's hurt. Take the decision making out of his. I don't care if he doesn't want to go into rehab assignment. Make him go to rehab assignment and build his fucking strength back up. Make sure the flexibility is okay with this was a quad strain or whatever it is. Um, with the Yankees, unfortunately, missed the topic and it's not going to be as relevant now as it was would have been last week. But I found the Clint Frazier thing fascinating. Um, the whole issue with him just being dreadful in the field for most of this year, um, though hitting fairly well, except for right before and right after he went on the injury list with his injury. Um, but the bat is typically carrying the poor fielding, and there's no reason that he can't figure it out and it's not uncommon for young guys to struggle with fielding and he's the type of guy who should be able to turn around because he's a good athlete um and it's just focus and there's a lot probably going on in his mind probably still stinking in that he's finally here getting to play every day after missing an entire year with a brutal post-concussive uh, syndrome and i mean i know that there was there were some big stories written i think coley harvey espn i think Lindsay Adler or Mark Carrig, one of them at The Athletic, wrote some stories about him at the end of last year or right after that uh, about him dealing with, you know, just his brain not working and not allowing him to go to the ballpark and do anything athletic. He had spent a lot of time in the dark room and he was worried about dealing with the, the lights and the, the sounds at the, the stadium. And they just didn't have an answer for him for when it was going to be okay. I, I had one mild concussion when I was younger. I felt better after about three or four days and never had any, like, lingering symptoms after that. I can't imagine how that would be, dealing with that for eight months or whatever it was for Frazier. That's got to be the most miserable thing you can deal with. Um, but anyway, going back to his struggles in the field and then the, the beat reporters going after him on Twitter, it just it was like a feeding frenzy. It was really weird, um, especially with a guy like him who's been so, like, outgoing and given his time with the, the media all the time. I, I know it's, you know, kind of a fair weather thing. You know, oh, he's happy to do it when he's promoting his own brand and promoting himself and everything's going well. Um, but he's had to deal with some bad times too. He's dealt with some frustration with the injuries. He always had seems to have this, just an awkward injury that pops up. It always derails his progress a little bit. And he keeps coming back and he's coming back stronger and that's great. But I don't know. I thought it was weird to attack a young kid who still hasn't played a full season 
just because he didn't want to come out and talk. And I understand the media feels like they're this conduit to the fans, and that is what they are, and that's all good and well. But listen, the fans weren't clamoring for him to come and talk. Everyone knows that he sucked. That what was he gonna say? I sucked. Great. I mean, there's plenty of time for him to deal with that in his career. And I understand it's a bit of a weak move, and you can have your say on that matter, but it was weird. I remember what I was looking at Twitter, because that was, I think it was the Sunday night game against the Red Sox. Um, it just felt a little, like, grimy. I, I don't know. I'm surprised that, the, the, that group of writers, most of them I, I like. They seem like decent uh, folks. And not everyone was doing it, really, but it, it was a little uncomfortable. But... Um, no, he had a great week this week. I, going back and playing uh, Cleveland team to trade him, the team that drafted him, I think fifth overall or something like that. That's probably uh, big for him. And uh, he had a good week. So hopefully it's kind of water under the bridge and he learned from it. And maybe the reporters hopefully will learn from being a little bit uh, exuberant in their pursuing the, the quote-unquote truth on the Clint Fraser matter. So uh, just stuff to watch as things go along. Not too big of a deal. But uh, I just thought that that was an interesting situation. All right, before we get into the main event uh, with the Jets hiring of Joe Douglas, I just wanted to do a, a brief moment just to check in with the uh, NHL and NBA talk has been mostly gone by the wayside in the last several weeks. Um, just because it's that time, obviously none of the teams are, are left in the playoffs anymore. Um, and the draft and free agency is in a couple of weeks. So I figured that talk can start ramping up as we get closer. We start getting better feel for what's going on. Um, the fallout of this Durant injury, how that affects the NBA free agency and, and draft, um, with the uh, and the same thing with you know the finals and the the Stanley Cup final ending, seeing how that everything shakes out with all that, um, and I think if we can get some guests on here, uh, I have at least one in mind who uh, might have some interesting talk. Especially, I have <laughs> I have one friend who's a Nets and Devils fan, so um, maybe we'll get him on here and, and talk about that a little bit too. Uh, and hopefully Shafe can come back um, and be done with his whole uh, onboarding situation with, with work uh, in time to get some uh, some Rangers talk for the NHL draft. I know he's excited to do that, and I figured that our fan base would be pretty excited uh, for that as well, considering that's how this whole started with was a lot of Rangers talk uh, by him on the Twitter account. So, um, And I apologize for me not being as active as him on Twitter. I'm not necessarily great at that whole thing. But uh, it seems like everyone's been interested enough in the little bit that I have been able to do, so that's good. Uh, and hopefully you guys still will be. Uh, I promised an Islanders free agency slash draft preview, and hopefully I'll have that done in some time this week. Um, it'll definitely be out before the draft and free agency, though. Um, and in general, the spin tune writing uh, has been largely driven by one of our co-founders, Brian, who you guys probably don't know much about because he's done a little bit of stuff with us on Flicks and a Six. Um, but he's just ramped up his writing the last few weeks and he's been actually really carrying us as Shafe's been busy and I've been handling mostly editing stuff, but, uh, he's been writing a lot of stuff on video games, mobile gaming, uh, some stuff on movies. He wrote, uh, ma insane manifesto on, <laughs> on life in, uh, New York city. Uh, but that was kind of fun. It was, uh, it was good natured fun. So, um, yeah, we'll get back to the sports in just a second. All right. This is what I was most excited to talk about for this week. Uh, and I was hoping it was going to be out by next week, and I would or last week, and I would have really um, prioritized getting an episode out, even if it required me to do it at weird hours or whatever. Um, and I was wishing that Chafe would have been available for this, uh, or even my brother, but both of them were a little bit busy because um, both of them are Jets fans as well. But uh, 
so the Jets finally have a GM, and that's great because you know you kind of need one of those. Uh, so Joe Douglas, as we kind of was long rumored, uh, and as we discussed in the past, was the guy, uh, and that's good. Um, for a lot of reasons. One, it's the guy that they wanted. It's nice to go out and say, hey, this is the guy we're most interested in, and ultimately it's reciprocated, and I understand. Listen, if you guys are reading Manish Mehta, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't think he's really great at his job because I think he's a little bit too partisan for a reporter. Um, he has his favorites and his people that he hates, and he's going to report things the way he is, and that's fine, and it's great, and he's got a hell of a lot bigger readership than I do, and that's fine, and he gets paid a hell of a lot more than I do because, you know, I do this because it's fun. I don't do it because I get paid for it. I don't. Um, but it became pretty apparent the last couple of years, and especially in the last few weeks, that his sourcing, he would have some big scoops on the Jets. His sourcing was directly from Mike McHagan and Brian Heimerdinger, and that's fine. Um, but at times it came off as him being a mouthpiece for that hierarchy, and he's been going scorched earth ever since they were fired because... He felt like he was quote unquote led astray and by the Jets and this and that and I, it's really just he's in his feelings because his his uh, back door into all the uh, things Jets behind the scenes is now gone. So the whole thing about them the Jets having to crawl and beg for Joe Douglas, take it with a grain of salt. I mean, there's there is a grain of truth to that I'm sure uh, because Douglas was gonna be the guy the next cycle around. Remember. Only one team really formally fired their GM um, in this past offseason, um, and they promoted from within. That was the Dolphins. Um, and now after the draft, and everyone made fun of the Jets for firing their GM. And then, well, did you look at that? Last Friday, the Texans fired their GM as well. So I found it curious that the uh, the official hiring of Douglas... There are some people who tell you that, that Douglas had more or less agreed weeks ago. Uh, it seems like several days before it was all but official, but they still had to hammer out some specific details. Um, but in the past, the Texans had requested, I think it was a year and a half ago was when they fired or when they hired Brian game in Houston, they reached out. I don't remember if they actually got an interview with, with Joe Douglas, but they reached out and they requested one with him last time around. And so 90 minutes after the Texans fired their GM, Joe Douglas was officially hired by the Jets. I'm sure those two things were at least somewhat linked together because now they weren't the only game in town. And Douglas had the leverage in the situation. There's no doubt about it. Uh, for one thing, it was the guy who, quote-unquote, was picked by Gase to be the guy that he wanted to work with. Um, and don't ever doubt the fact that Adam Gase got Joe Douglas hired. I don't think that Adam Gase hired him. It sounds like the two of them, well, neither of them is going to be the boss of the other. But this doesn't happen without Gase's uh, desire to have him around. Um, and don't forget that Jimmy Sexton <laughs> plays a part of this. You know, the super agent from CIA. Uh, he's the agent for Gase. He's the agent for Joe Douglas. He's the agent for Sam Darnold, which could make for a bit of an incestuous relationship here. I view that as probably a good thing as far as negotiating with Darnold in a few years. Some people are worried about it being conflict of interest, but I think that Sexton is going to want to nurture that relationship. I don't view it as something that's going to be a problem, and they're going to be 
open with each other, the three of them, about all this stuff. Actually, if it was going to be a problem for anyone, it might be Gase down the line. Um, I don't view it as being an issue between Darnold and Douglas, but I could be wrong. Uh, but Chris Johnson got his guy, and Gase got his guy, and hopefully we'll all be happy with that. Um, he was going to be in high demand next year around because it was very weird that there was only one or ultimately three GM jobs open with, whereas I think eight coaches got fired, and that's part of the, it's easier for front office to blame coaches, staff. Like, oh, I, I picked the players, and you didn't do a good enough job coaching them, and the wins and losses in the field, if the team looks out of sorts and you, you, you've been selling to your ownership that you have a great team and then you don't win enough games, it's easy to say, well, the coach didn't do a good enough job with the guy that I picked. So, um, yeah, I think that Douglas had the leverage, and that's fine. And But maybe this is finally the come-to-God moment that the Johnson brothers, or at least specifically Chris Johnson, while he's in charge here for the next year or two at least, um, that they need to do better with their front office because you heard the, some of the things, and this was especially, I think, a meta reporting that, oh, he it was over the term of the contract and they insulted Douglas with giving him too low of a contract. And that I don't believe I'm sure that they probably had a number and Douglas had a number and they probably ended up closer to Douglas's number. And that's fine. Um, cause who the hell cares? They, the Johnsons are fucking billionaires. They are the biggest owners of Johnson and Johnson. Like that's how they, they bought the team. Um, and there's no salary cap on executive hirings. So it's monopoly money. They, they make a ton of money off the jets. So we shouldn't worry about that too much. If you fire him because he's the worst GM in the history of the world, which I can't believe he's going to be worse than Mike McCagnan or John Idzik, uh, both of whom were just about equally terrible. I think even though Idzik had two years and McCagnan had four years, I think their winning percentage was identical, which is kind of incredible. Um, they just had separate ways that they were bad at their job. Um, but I think that this whole situation really came down to is he going to get full roster control Joe Douglas is he going to get to hire all the guys that he wants to hire is he going to be able to spend on adding to the scouting staff to make it a big robust staff because that's the way that you can create an edge is coaching staff and executive staff in the NFL because like I said there's no salary cap on it you can hire as many guys as you want um, with as much of a resume as you want uh, look at the Cleveland Browns turning around in the last 18 months. Everyone's, oh, John Dorsey. It's not just John Dorsey, though. They He added, was it Elliot Wolf? I think? He has Alonzo Highsmith. There's another guy, too. They're very well-respected front office. Um, guys who are former GMs, future GMs. Same thing, Chris Ballard taking over in Indianapolis a couple of years ago. He had hired Ed Dodds, a few other people. Um, and in Chicago, there's Brian Pace. He hired Champ Kelly, who was one of the guys who who uh, interviewed for the Jets job. Um, and I, I think it was just a little early for him. I think he may very well end up being a GM in a year or two. Um, so that's the way to go with all this stuff. And that's what I want to talk about next is who's going to be coming with Joe Douglas from now on. Um, the hot rumors lately have been Todd McShay and Phil Savage. Most of you know McShay. Obviously, he's the scout at uh, one of the two scouts, the main ones at uh, ESPN. Uh, what I did not know until this week was that Todd McShay actually played in college. Him and Joe Douglas played together at the University of Richmond. McShay, I think, was the backup quarterback. Uh, Douglas was an offensive lineman. So that's the connection point there. Uh, what I would imagine, if that were to be a thing that happens, if McShay comes in, it would probably be something like the director of college scouting or assistant director of college scouting for the team, which would make sense. I, 
I don't love, I think I may have mentioned it on the show before, I know I've talked about it with, with some of my friends, who, especially my friends who are Jets fans. I don't love Kuiper or McShay's analysis. I prefer McShay. Um, there's some other people in draft media who I trust their scouting a little bit more, but what McShay and Kuiper, but specifically McShay, I like, ha- has a lot better situation is access. Uh, being the sideline reporter in college football, he has a lot of access with these programs. He has a lot of relationships with these programs and that sort of thing. You can trust the coaching staffs that you're talking to about these players. You get a lot of, a lot better snapshot of who these guys are off the field or who these guys are outside of games, uh, which can make or break your analysis. Uh, most people, if you spend enough time and you're just watching film, you can figure out a running back who can run and an offensive lineman who can block and cornerback can cover and all that stuff, and it's great. Uh, it really is just time spent watching it. Um, but knowing who these guys are, like the character of these guys, and that's a big thing for Joe Douglas, apparently. Um, he is a high character guy. If you look at the, the guys that the Eagles have brought in the last few years, a lot of high character guys, especially through the draft. Uh, so some of the guys that McCagney brought in maybe wouldn't be ones. And those are some of those guys you may have to watch. I mean, they're not going to catch a guy polite. And I don't think he's a bad dude. I think he's just guys that questionable motivation. And same thing with Chuma Doga. Um, so I don't think they're two third round picks from this year. And I, as much as I think he'll put a stamp, his own stamp, it's not those guys immediately who are going to have to worry. They're going to have to earn their, their keep, no no doubt. But it's the guys like Trenton Cannon and Eli McGuire. And I, and I actually think Eli McGuire is probably a decent dude. But with them bringing in Ty Montgomery, which is a really underrated signing, I think, and them bringing back Bilal Powell this week, which really surprised me, uh, those two six round pick running backs, uh, they're going to have a tough time making this roster, especially Cannon. Um, I know he was a gunner in special teams, and that's important and all that, but it, really, yeah, those guys are can be a dime a dozen. Uh, it doesn't take that much to look. But anyway, McShay seems like a real, real possibility. He actually broke that news himself. Someone asked him a question about it, and he said yes. Uh, I am one of the people in consideration to work under Joe Douglas in the front office for the Jets. Uh, Phil Savage is another one. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Phil Savage is, he was the GM of the Browns for a while. Um, that's probably at least 10 years ago. I, I actually don't remember 100% what time it was. But then after that, he ran the Senior Bowl for a long time. Up until last year, Jim Nagy took over, um, who used to work for the Patriots and the Seahawks, I think. Um, so, it, And it's entirely possible both those guys could be hired. Um, the hot name when the whole thing started up with Douglas to begin with was Daniel Jeremiah. Um, from what I'm hearing, he's had opportunities. I don't know about being an actual GM, but he's had opportunities to do something similar to like what McShay is being talked about as maybe director of college scouting or something like that for a few NFL teams. And he declined them. I think that he very much enjoys his, from what I'm, I can understand from what I've been reading, uh, he enjoys his whole job as a media scout um, and the freedom that that allows him and as far as schedule and time spent with his um, family and everything. Uh, and that's great. I, you know what? If that's if you know that that's what you want, um, if you're not itching to get back, and unlike McShay, um, Daniel Jeremiah actually did work in, and unlike Mike Mayock, he actually has worked in front offices. Uh, although I'm struggling to remember for what teams now. Um, then the other names that I found interesting that are coming up uh, for one, Champ Kelly, the assistant director of player personnel with Chicago, could come in and work for Douglas because the two of them along with Gates have all crossed paths that was why Kelly I think made it on the list the two of them were in Chicago for at least one year um, so then there was some talk about if it could come down to uh, Douglas versus Kelly thing 
that the two of them would have similar staffs that they could be bringing along with them. And that was on top of just his ability to scout. One of the reasons that Douglas is such a, a desired candidate was he, as we're mentioning, these are these are highly touted names to work in front offices. Um, he's going to bring a strong staff with him. Um, and, I, and CAA can put him in touch with a lot of people as well. Um, in top, on top of just his own relationships. But he's known to have a really good network of guys. Um, and on top of that, he's also known as a guy who is strong in his convictions and is decisive, but can sub serve his own ego to work along with people, which sounds like that's a big deal when you're working with Adam Gase. Um, but on the other hand, Adam Gase obviously respects the hell out of Joe Douglas. Otherwise he wouldn't have this job. So I think that even if the two of them fight, I think they'll know how to, at the end of it, shake hands and come back to work the next day. And it's not going to be a problem. There shouldn't be any backstabbing between the two of them. And I just don't think that, that Douglas will, will stand for any of that shit. And, Gase better watch out if he thinks he's going to go that route somewhere down the line because Douglas's contract's for six years. Gase's is only for four. So I think that already gives him... And that's probably part of the whole thing is if Douglas is saying, hey, listen, if Gase is going to be tough to work with or whatever, this I'm not handled with that bullshit. You're going to give me as long a contract as I want. Although, admittedly, it's not a Gruden 10-year deal. Um, but Champ Kelly could be an assistant GM or a director of player personnel, which would be a, either of those things would be a promotion from what his current title is, assistant director of player personnel. Um, so it's entirely possible he could be convinced to come and work with Douglas and Gase, even if it was only for a year or two. Because I, I think he's a guy who is, is really going to be a hot commodity maybe in a year or two. So if he could come temporarily, maybe he brings along with him a certain amount of scouts. Could tar- cause some turnover, but... You know, who the hell cares? Get one year with the guy. Get two years with the guy. If he's that good at his job, that's great. Because um, it's all about creating this brain trust of guys who are going to work together well, who are smart. Because no one's an expert at any one thing. And it's been proven time and time again that no one beats the draft. If you are successful 50% of the time, you're winning. Um, no one does. The Patriots doesn't, don't win the draft consistently. You, any one team can have one year that's great, but... I think 538, Nate Silver, them, they did a, a study on it over the course of like a decade. And no team substantially outperformed a 50% success rate in the draft. Um, now, I do think that there are certain teams that are really good at scouting certain positions. Like, if I'm if you look at something like the Steelers, they, they do a really, really good job of identifying wide receiver talent. Antonio Brown was a six-round pick. Juju Smith-Suicide was a second-round pick. James Washington was a second-round pick. Um, Mike Wallace was a third or fourth-round pick, I think. Um... But and they do a really good job with offensive line. Um, I mean, their offensive line is always good. And some of those guys have been first round picks. Some of them have been later picks. They they do a great job with that. They can't draft a cornerback to save their fucking life. So, I mean, it, every team has their strengths and weaknesses, even long long standing front offices. Um, so, getting the best collection of guys. If you get a guy who's good at scouting offensive and defensive line talent, if you get a guy who's good at who is good at scouting skill positions. You're building out this whole section where you can have a better depth of knowledge for getting talent at different positions. Um, and now is the time to maximize it. While Sam Darnold's on his rookie contract, you need to maximize all of that. Um, the other guys who I'm interested in um, are guys that followed uh, Joe Douglas to Philadelphia from Baltimore, where he was for, I think, 14 years. From 2000 to 2014, he was with Baltimore before doing a quick stop in Chicago. Um, Andrew Weddle uh, and his brother Casey. Uh, Andrew is the director of player personnel 
for Philadelphia. It's entirely possible that he's promoted to work in Douglas's old role now, but he could get pulled along to Philadelphia if he doesn't get that job, or even if they do offer it to him, because I think a bunch of the guys who were prominent in the Eagles front office only have one year left on their deal, so they're going to have to give him a promotion and a deal to get him to stick around. So it's going to be a question of whether the Eagles have to weigh, should we just let these guys follow, or should we block and know that they can walk in a year if we don't re-up them? Um, so Weddle and the director of college scouting, Ian Cunningham, both followed um, Joe Douglas from Baltimore years together in Baltimore to working with him in Philadelphia. That could be a huge get to help build out the staff. Um, you'd be giving those guys promotions as well. Obviously not going to get all of these guys, but if they can get a few of these guys, uh, it's going a long way towards building an actual NFL-level front office. As far as the specifics of what Douglas is going to do when he's taking over, um, I'm interested, as I mentioned before, he played offensive line in college. I don't know if he played in the pros at all. University of Richmond isn't exactly a hotbed of NFL talent. Outside of uh, you Giants fans who remember that the uh, Spiders is where <laughs> Kyle Loletta came from, <laughs> for whatever that's worth. Um, but anyway, he played offensive line. He sure shit looks like he played offensive line. He's a big dude. There's been a lot of jokes about him being the mountain from Game of Thrones. He actually does look a decent amount like him. I mean, not nearly as big, but still. Um, but I think that his presence will mean a renewed focus in the trenches for the Jets. Obviously, we've spent a lot of draft capital and other money as well on defensive linemen, uh, whether or not they've all been good or not, obviously, uh, is up for, up for some debate. But um, if you look at the way the Eagles have been built the last few years, and they've obviously been very successful multiple playoff runs, um, they won a Super Bowl two years ago, um, their offensive line is incredible, their defensive line was incredible, um, and it, because they used premium picks on those positions, uh, but they made sure that they had a... a a variety on the defensive line. They have a variety of types of players. They brought in um, Michael Bennett. They have Fletcher Cox, who's incredibly underrated. Really, really good defensive tackles. The the uh, the most common, as it got closer to the draft, the most common comparison that I was hearing Quinn and Williams was actually to Fletcher Cox, which I think is a pretty lofty and actually pretty accurate um, comparison. There are a lot of similarities to their body style, body style and game. Um, and I'm not sure why more people don't talk about how great Fletcher Cox is, because he is. Um, and then they had Chris Long. And, you know, so they have this variety and really deep um, stable of defensive linemen, who were all of whom offered some form of rush or penetration ability. You can't just have these two gappers who are just going to like hold the, the point of attack. Um, I'm looking at you, Giants, with uh, Dexter Lawrence. Um yeah, I mean, you can have those guys. It's great, but you can't spend premium picks and, and dollars on those guys. Um, you need to have some ability to disrupt the pocket, uh, especially in the interior. Um, and you need guys who can rush from the edge. And they've done that uh, in Philadelphia. And in addition, they've spent a lot of premium picks and a lot of time on acquiring an excellent offensive line. I like Nick Foles. Well, if you're a Giants fan, you probably don't like Nick Foles. But everyone likes Nick Foles. He's all, you hear all the jokes... Big Dick Nick, great, fun, that's great. Uh, <laughs> and he seems like a nice guy, genuine guy. For those of you who are religious, and this, we're not going to get into a religious debate, obviously, but um, he's a man of faith, all that. He seems like a genuinely good dude. Um, and also, you know, thoughts and prayers and everything to him and his family. I think he just went through, they just went through a miscarriage a couple weeks ago. Uh, that's pretty rough. But uh, the thing is, 
I don't think he's a great quarterback. Um, he had a nice run with Chip Kelly when he was young. Then he did nothing. And then he left and went to St. Louis, or I guess they, maybe they were L.A. at that time, and did nothing. Admittedly, he was playing for Jeff Fisher. So uh, not entirely his fault. He went to Kansas City and was a backup. Comes back and he does something, obviously. They go on a crazy run to the, to the Super Bowl. But if you look at his success or lack thereof going down the stretch of this past year, the offensive line for Philadelphia was not as good. And it's not all on them. You know, if you lose your starting left tackle, and I think they were missing one of the guards as well, your offensive line is going to suffer. No one can have that good of a depth on their offensive line, no matter how much resources you put into it. Because then you, there is a, a, a situation of diminishing returns eventually. Um, Nick Foles required an excellent offensive line to be excellent. And Philadelphia built that up on that playoff run. Jason Peters was obviously excellent, even though he's gotten quite old now. Stefan Wisniewski was solid. Jason Kelsey, very good. Lane Johnson, very, very good. Um, and he was, what, taking the fourth overall pick the year that he was taken. And this year, they traded up ahead of Houston to get Andre Dillard, who's going to replace Jason Peters next year. So you know that they spent a lot of premium picks and a lot of money on the offensive line. Because I think, yeah, Lane Johnson's on a second contract now, I think. Um, he got paid to stay there. Um, Peters obviously was paid one of the top. He's been one of the top left tackles for almost 10 years, I think, uh, in the league. Uh, and Kelsey's been an excellent player as well. Uh, so that's something that's going to have to change for the Jets going forward. Maybe next year that they have to devote first-round pick, second-round pick, whatever, to restocking this offensive line. Um, they spent a third-rounder on Chuma Doga this year. I don't think he starts unless there's injuries. Um, maybe he could take over one of the roles of either right or left tackle next year because both Kelvin Beecham and uh, Brandon Shell are going to be free agents next year. Um, I'm a guy who liked Brian Winters going back, but he either hasn't been healthy or hasn't been effective for a full 16 games uh, outside of one season of his career. So he's got a lot to prove. Um, their center is a backup. Jonathan Harrison, I do not have a lot of uh, hope or faith in. I was furious, absolutely furious, that they couldn't come away with either Matt Paradis or Mitch Morse in free agency. It's just beyond malpractice. Who the hell cares? Uh, supposedly came down to McCagnon not wanting to pay $10 million to a center. Who the fuck cares? Protect your fucking rookie quarterback. Um, and I, I do love them acquiring Kalichi Assembly as left guard. Really, really good player before injuries uh, bothered him last year. Sounds like he dropped a ton of weights in much better shape. Take care of his knee and everything. So that's great. But the point is, there's going to be a lot of flux around this offensive line over the next 12 months. Um, realistically, they're going to probably have to bring in at least another free agent or veteran. Um, next offseason, they're going to have to probably draft two guys in the top four rounds. Hopefully they'll be able to accumulate some more picks so that they don't have a ton of trade assets. I still think that their best case scenario would be to trade Leonard Williams rather than give him an extension. And even best case, if you're letting him walk to a huge contract in free agency, you're not getting that pick until the year after in the compensatory process, um, which is something that they'll probably start to rely on more because that's something that the Eagles relied on a lot. It's, an, it's market inefficiency. The Patriots, the, the Ravens, uh, I think the Steelers, some... Um, and the Eagles have been teams that have really uh, tried to accumulate as many of those compensatory picks as possible, and those are teams that are typically pretty good. Um, so there's probably some correlation there. But, uh, I mean, this, this team still has a lot of needs, and unfortunately I don't think they're going to be able to fill all of them. Um, I do wonder what the first order of business at, from a 
an actual on-field personnel will be by Douglas once he gets started. Um, there is the Jadeveon Clowney situation. He That's part of the reason that Brian Gang got fired in, in, in Houston was not only did he not get him extended, he didn't succeed in trading him either, supposedly dangled him around the draft and after the draft. Um, he sounds just as indecisive as Mike McCagnon was. Um, and just cropped up today, um, and I retweeted, I mentioned it um, on the Spin Street Sports Show pod, uh, uh, Twitter account. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe is apparently holding out uh, from Jacksonville. Really, really good pass rusher. Really good. Can fit in any scheme. I'm, he's probably better in a 4-3. But guys that good, doesn't matter. You find a way to just let him put his hand in the dirt and go get the fucking quarterback. Um, the guy's top three in sacks, I think, since he, he entered the league. Um, we still need an edge rusher. I have high hopes for Polite, even though if I don't have the highest hopes for him, it's a rookie per se. But he's a good player. If he can just get his fucking head straight, he's a good player. Um, or specifically as a rusher. Um, so I would love to see them try and get either of those guys. Um, they still need a cornerback or two or three. Um, supposedly Trey Waynes is very available. I mean, it's not going to come cheap. He's going to want a contract as well. Any of these three guys is going to want a contract. Um, and he was a former first-round pick from Minnesota. He's a good player. He's a good cornerback. I don't know if he's great, but he's good. Fast as shit. Um, kick the tires on that too, man. Our cornerbacks suck. I mean, hopefully Tremaine Johnson can can bounce back, but he sucks. Um, and then offensive line depth. I don't think you're going to get a starting caliber player. Those guys who I mentioned as, at Ezra Dressers and uh, and cornerbacks um, are very good players. I don't think you're going to get a good offensive lineman. I haven't heard about any guys who've been dangled in trades as an offensive lineman, but get someone who, even if it's just for depth, because especially in the middle of this line, I'm worried and. I don't really want to see Brent Qualley starting as an offensive tackle. I don't know if Chuma Doga is ready to be starting as an offensive tackle if Beecham or, or uh, Shell gets hurt. Shell's coming off a major surgery on his knee. Um, Winters is usually good to be dinged up some. Osemele was dinged up some. And guys that big, when they get hurt, they tend to get hurt more often. I'm hoping that's not the case. So uh, he's got a lot of work to do. Even though this is kind of at the point of the offseason where the work is done. Um, so hopefully... I mean, the one thing I don't think you'll ever have to worry about is him being needing a fire lit under his ass, unlike Mike McCagden. This guy has a plan, a vision, and he's going to execute it, and he'll have a plan A and a plan B. And those plans may be right or wrong or indifferent, but he's going to be active in doing stuff. The Eagles are always amongst the most active in just transactions. They trade in season, they trade out of season, move up and down for picks. They moved up for the Wentz one, they've moved down, they moved uh, for, to accumulate more picks after that to restock their, their pool. They moved up to get Andre Dillard this year. They've been part of pick swap trades, which is another one of those market inefficiencies. Um, and, that, you know, they're not afraid to, to go get a guy who's not a need now, but he's going to need be a need tomorrow, like, again, with the Dillard trade. Um, so I think we're going to see business operate a little differently with Joe Douglas. And different, it's going to be good, because the way things were going under Mike McCagney was not good. Um... So we'll have more on that in the future, but for now, the Jets will probably go a little bit by the wayside for us unless we see some uh, major hirings for the front office alongside Joe Douglas. Um, we're going to have a little bit more, like I said, NBA, NHL. We'll have some some Yankees and Mets as well. Um, so that's all for this week of the Spin Tune Sports Show. You can reach us on Twitter at Spin Tune Sports and at The Spin Tune. You can find me and Schaefer as well at Alessandro B 1187 and at Schaefspur. See you next week. <laughs>